Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hi there, it's Laura Wasser. And if anyone knows how much divorce sucks, it's me. I've been practicing family law for over 20 years, and I've worked on thousands of divorces. Creating peace in families is how I lost my voice. From the top of the food chain all the way down to my very first case, which was my own divorce when I was 25. I wrote the book on divorce, or I wrote a book on divorce. It's called It Doesn't Have to Be That Way, How to Divorce Without Destroying Your Family or Bankrupting Yourself. That book became a bestseller because it presented another option for ending a marriage, one that doesn't necessarily include lawyers and one that leaves more money in both parties' bank accounts and less animosity in their hearts. We created It's Over Easy, the one-stop breakup divorce resource online with the same principles in mind. So welcome to the Divorce Sucks podcast, where we talk about breaking up, getting divorced, and moving on. Good morning. Good morning. We've talked the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning, listeners. Good day, America. <laughs> Laura Wasser and Johnny Rains here with the Sunny Side Up Report. Um, first, want to give a shout out to our friends at The Blast. Thank you for having It's Over Easy as your wallpaper last week. It was Mike awesome. And, Mike and Liz, you guys rock. The Sunny Side Up Report is where Johnny and I speak a little bit about events that have happened during the week, which in some way, shape, or form relate to romance, breakups, divorce, etc. So one of the articles that we found over the weekend is on Elite Daily by Rachel Shadow. Yeah. Why do so many celebrity couples get divorced? I wonder why. Why do you think? You should know. I, I think they get divorced for the same reasons that non-celebrity couples get divorced. I just think that we hear about it and care about it more because they're celebrities. I'm always fascinated when people ask me that question or like say, oh, you're a celebrity divorce attorney. I just represent the people that come in. So that's great. But when we do hear about it, it's because generally it is somebody famous and of note. But don't um, you think it has something to do with just sort of like the whole cult of celebrity? You know, they want what they want when they want it and they want it now. So they jump into things kind of quickly. I think that is what happens with our culture in general right now. The experts that weigh in in this article do make some good points about being on location, about being, you know, in a entertainment industry where, yes, you are given what you want when you want it and used to the newer, better thing. So absolutely. But I also think that it is interesting. No one's writing an article about, you know, Joe Schmo and his wife getting divorced. They're writing articles about the couples that we tend to be very interested in for whatever reason. I'd like to write an article about Mrs. Schmo. Okay. Well, (laughs) we'll report about it on the Sunny Side Up report. (laughs) Next on the Sunny Side Up report, speaking of breakups and getting married, Pop Sugar came out with an article about the zodiac signs most likely to divorce ranked from most to least. Now, what sign are you? I'm a Gemini, and I was low down in it. How about you? I'm a Sagittarius, and we make great partners, but we're very fiery. You were number four on on the list. The <laughs> top three were Capricorns, yeah. Aquarians, and Virgos. My husband's an Aquarius. Well, there. So he's second and you're fourth. You guys have been married longer than I was ever married, so I don't know if you guys are right, Pop Sugar. Okay, here's my favorite. My favorite, favorite Sunday morning activity is reading the New York Times yes. and, of course, the Sunday Styles section. So this week's Sunday Styles had a article about a sugar date that went sour, and maybe I've been living under a rock, but I had no idea that there was an online 
I don't even know what to call it. A, a whoring app, dating app called Seeking Arrangement. So, I think so first, what is a sugar? Okay. What's a sugar? What's a sugar date? Well, okay, let me explain to you what Seeking Arrangement is. I believe it may just be seeking.com. It is a website that helps people right. interested in monetized dating find each other. This is the article. Sugar daddies and some sugar mommies pay monthly fees of $99 which allow them unlimited access to the profiles of sugar babies. Who joined the website for free. Isn't that called putting out for Prada? Uh, you know what? It could be. I am I, in favor of this, although I would not ever do it, because I believe very strongly, and we've talked about this before on the show, mm-hmm. that every relationship has some kind of an arrangement or a deal oh. or a contract. It doesn't. It's not always for money, but I believe it's very important when going into the relationship, people know the terms and they know what's expected of them and they know how they're going to deal with their problems. This starts out like that. And again, we can all turn our noses up and say poo-poo, but these folks absolutely know what to expect and what they're getting, except in the instance of the folks in this in article, the, right, right. Um, Chandler Fowles. Is that the owner or the founder? No, no, no. This is a woman who hesitated at the thought of sugar dating at first, but she convinced herself that it would result in her having something of a regular relationship with an older man who would pamper her. And what ended up happening to the woman in this article is she hooked up with the guy online. Mm. He asked to meet her somewhere. She actually brought a friend, and she put out the money for the hotel room that they met him in. She put out the money for the blow dries that they both got because he asked them to get dolled up. And he was supposed to PayPal her when he arrived. And he didn't do it, and he never paid her back. And they were out like $2,500. And then she eventually figured out a way through another friend that had somehow hooked up with the same guy that had the same story to kind of catch him. However, Seeking.com said, that's not our problem. We don't authorize or condone sex for payment. So the fact that you met him and you were expecting to get paid... We don't. We just put the people together. That's your arrangement, and so sorry that you got screwed. But that you know should have been a little bit more careful. Which it appears that she was in her later kind of endeavors on seeking. So I, I thought it was fascinating. I don't know. The, the terms of service say that they prohibit transactions for sex. And right. The site simply seeks to bring the role that money plays in mating out in the open. Still, it seems to me like it's it's a recipe for disaster because of exactly what happened to this young lady and this sort of skeevy guy and her friend and all of that. It just seems kind of untoward. Yes. If you're interested in this, it is Seeking.com, and it was a key theme of the keynote presentation that the owner, Brandon Wade, delivered in May at a Sugar mm-hmm. Baby Summit, which was exploring the strategy behind living the sugar lifestyle. I mean, he had a, he had a summit. This is, I, I'm fascinated, fascinated by this. We're going to follow up on this. And then yeah. <laughs> Jeff's shaking his head. No, you're not in? You could be a sugar baby, Jeff. <laughs> uh, see, that specific term is where I'm hung up on this. I see. It sounds pedophilic. It does. The baby part the ba- of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there are sugar mamas as well, by the but way. That doesn't uh, help. Ladies it's the out- babies that still bother No, but him. if you yeah. wanted to have a sugar mama, they are out there too. That's what I'm just saying. No, I, I kind of agree with him. That's where I got a little skeeved out. All right. Anyway, we'll talk to you <laughs> next <on>. week. Moving <laughs> on. Moving on with our guest today. Today's episode of Divorce Sucks is about money. If you're rebuilding your finances after a divorce or about to embark on the process of separating your life and your bank account from your exes, pay close attention. I'm Laura Wasser, and as a divorce attorney, I see the myriad of ways in which finances impact the entire family. 
I wrote, it doesn't have to be that way. And we created It's Over Easy so couples and families have an alternative solution to living happily ever after separately that leaves more money in their bank accounts and less carnage in the relationships that remain. Divorce sucks, but you're in luck today because Professor Carmen Rita Wong is in the house to share her sage advice on how to protect yourself fiscally, minimize the financial pain, and psych yourself up for the process. Carmen is an author of two best-selling financial advice books, including The Real Cost of Living, and she is the founder and CEO of Malacone Productions. You may also know her from the CNBC show she co-created and hosted called On the Money. She was also a national advice columnist for Glamour, Latina, Essence, Men's Health, and Good Housekeeping, as well as an editor at Money Magazine. She also worked closely with President Obama as a member of his Business Forward initiative to further African-American, Latino, and Asian business owners. Welcome to Divorce Sex, Carmen, my idol. Oh, my God. Laura Wasser, thank you so much for having me. How weird that I have so much uh, personal experience in this area. <laughs> What I loved about um, the conversation when I first met you and we were on stage in front of this huge audience is we started the conversation about emotional money, mm -hmm. emotions and money. And this was at the Women in the World Summit early this year in New York. And one of the things we talked about is we talked about emotions costing us money, psychology, motivation, and making decisions. And we did mention a little bit about divorce. Yes. If you type divorce into your search bar, you'll see divorce sucks. And yes, it may be true. But never let it be said that I'm not in favor of romance, weddings, and marriage. However, before you walk down the aisle, talk about what's to come. That's actually one way in which you might avoid a divorce, which is communicating about things that aren't necessarily so sexy. Although I have to say, Carmen, I think we look fabulous today. <laughs> we do, my friend. <laughs> Talking about finances before you get married is a place to start, and that should give you a better understanding of each other, your work and home responsibilities, joint or separate accounts, budgets, etc. They're all subjects that should come up in conversations before you marry or even move in with somebody. Yeah, and you know, we learn a lot of this communicating about money from how we saw it work out at home between our own parents or if you had a single parent. What were those relationships like between your mother and father and not just who was the breadwinner, but who kind of took control of the situation? And, you know, I'm the oldest of five girls and we had a big family and it was difficult to see. My mother was very ambitious, but because with so many children, she really had to step back and kind of take that check for household expenses every week. And she would deflate a bit every time. I and remember it, you telling this it, story in your face. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's rough. So that taught me a lot about, first of all, just, it's not for everybody. It's not for every woman or every man. But it is something that you need to really feel like you know what you want out of this relationship and what you want out of managing money together. I think the tide is turning and more women are gaining equity in their relationships and their jobs. But it still surprises me how many women who come into my office say they just don't even know how much money they have. I, uh, Laura, let me tell you. I have to tell you about this one. So I, d I was doing another panel. This is, this is where we end up a lot, don't yes. we? Um, I was doing another panel and it was with a social media influencer. Okay. A millennial. Okay. And she's very, very successful. And she was the main breadwinner here. And she shocked me because we we're having this conversation about gender roles and money. And she said, you know what? I found out, my husband told me the other day that he had been taking out 3% from, <gasps> from our checking account and putting it 
in our retirement or in, my, in the joint retirement account without telling me. And I was shocked. You know, shocked I thought and you horrified. were going to say he was taking like taking for his commission. <laughs> no, that is that is okay. the worst case scenario. <laughs> exactly. No, that was his slush fund. But it, so so here's the thing. She saw it as a good thing because that's what he's good at doing. Right. I saw it as a lack of communication. Yeah. Because it was a huge surprise. She looked at her check account and she was like, what? I thought I had more money than this. You listen. You got to keep those doors open. You have to communicate. It's great that he was thinking about the future. Right. But if you're thinking about the future together, then you need to make these decisions together. Right. This isn't a client of mine. This is actually a friend of mine who said, this is a few years ago, every time her husband would shower in the morning, she would run down to the down the street to the ATM and take out the max amount, which I think at the time was $300, and take it out in cash. And she would just keep it somewhere else. And I was like, you guys have been married for 15 years. Why? And she's like, I want to know. I said, you know, that's still community property. Right. I just want to know it's there. Now, imagine him finding out about that one day. What does that say? about your relationship exactly what does it say and i will say this what does it say about your relationship but also what does it say let's take accountability what does it say about yourself yeah why are you so uncomfortable talking with your spouse is it because your spouse is control freak and won't let you you know have access to money or is it because you are uncomfortable with the conversation right do you think that there does indeed need to be a paradigm shift in the way we are raising our female children well listen i have an 11 year old daughter i'm a single parent you better believe she knows how to budget already and things like credit and all of that. I don't think gender plays a role in this in the sense of strictly education, knowledge, equal rights to communicating, that sort of thing. I do think that you need to take into account who you are as a person. So meaning, you know what? I'm, I, I'm really, really good at investing. I'm not so good at the day-to-day. I actually, you know what? I spend a little too much money. So let, why don't you take care of the household expenses, gentlemen, or whatever, which is kind of a role reversal, but that happens. Right. And I'll take care of the investing. I think we were raised, uh, or we were raised, at least Gen X, probably the last generation to be raised thinking that that's what you do. The female does the household. The male does the investing. No, 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 no. Right. We're really good at investing, by the way. Uh, uh, well, you are. <laughs> we are. Well, the statistics of 56% of women kind of abdicate control of their finances to their husband. And then 80% of them who have to take over finances after they get divorced or are widowed. That's kind of staggering, don't you think? Those are huge numbers, and that's our reality. And the truth is, you know what? We end up taking care of the kids. We end up taking care of the parents, our own parents. We take care of a lot, and we can do even better just by planning. Yeah, yeah. Teaching our children and really reinventing ourselves in a way where we are a little bit more in tune with the finances of our family Look, it is probably not the most fun or sexy way of spending an afternoon or evening, but I believe that we will feel so much better after we've become more familiar with it. And it really doesn't take long, once a month for a check-in, balancing. I'm horrible at it. But again, I have a business manager, so that helps. But I'm not (laughs) in that 56% or that 80%. Mm -hmm. I really do think it's important that we understand and, again, teach our children, boys and girls, the value of a dollar, how to budget it, what makes sense? Because otherwise, we're just repeating the same mistakes. And you know what? Do not hear or listen to that little voice in your head that someone told you at some point that, oh, you're a woman, so you're not good at math. Oh, money is icky, and I don't want to seem preoccupied with money. You better be preoccupied with your money because no one else is. 
Do you know that when I was touring elementary schools with the father of my older son, there were a couple schools, so this must have been around 2009 or 10, where they actually break the kids up and when they're in 6th, 7th grade, the math classes. Because the little girls do so much better if they're not in class with the little boys because they feel more comfortable with the mistakes they make or asking questions. I'm not totally sure how I feel about this, but I think it's very interesting that education has gone in this direction to make sure that girls, as they're growing up, feel comfortable with math. It's the only class that they've done that in. And I think in my daughter's school, what they did is they hired female math teachers. Right. So that takes some of that stigma away. My son has a female math teacher, and I got uh, his dad and I got an email from her on Friday telling us that uh, Luke was disrupting class. Oh dear! Yeah. same here. By the way, sign of intelligence. Yeah. I'm just yeah. Saying. I'll keep telling myself. <laughs> I was that, that kid. <laughs> I was that kid. <laughs> He's brilliant. <laughs> Tell us about the recent statistics that you've seen regarding women's empowerment and the movement in 2018 specifically. Well, you know what? Um, Fortune magazine recently came out, um, you know, with a state, and I'll quote them. It says, you know, the state. In this country, since we talk about states and, and divorces, very specific to states, the state closest in gender pay parity is Florida, where the average woman earns 5400 about less than the average man. And New York and California rounded out the top three with the most equal paid state. Now, here's the thing is that um, it's also very different if you're African-American woman, if you're Latino woman. It, at the end of the day, we still don't have that pay parity. Um, and I think that you have to take into account – that things are different depending on who you are. For example, I was the main breadwinner, and a lot of my friends were the main breadwinner. Roles can change, but you need to manage it the way that's best for the both of you. And how do we fold the biology into it? For a woman, even if we are the primary breadwinner, we really need to keep in mind that at some point she may have a diminished earning capacity because she's going to bear children and may need to take some time out. It did not slow me down. But again, people have difficult pregnancies. They have difficult children. You never know what's going to happen. And again, I've done so many prenuptial agreements for young, generally entertainers who at the time they are the higher earning part. And we really try to protect them, protect them, protect them from having to pay spousal support, from having to share their income. And then what happens is five or six years into the marriage, they have kids and they're the they're the lower earning spouse. Right, right. Well, here's the thing. It didn't slow me down either. Right. I mean, I doubled my income after my daughter's <laughs> a year old. You know, it's like Good incentive. Yeah, so you just don't, you know, I was breastfeeding and typing at the same time. You know, I'd never stopped working because I worked for myself. So you need to assess that situation. But the realities are and what I don't want to do is, you know, I, I do a lot of panels on women and money and uh, a man will stand up always a man and say but what about biology it's not uh, an excuse right. it's not a a blanket assessment the reality is when it comes to actual work and getting work done i mean one of my ceo friends is fantastic startup ceo huge business he's like i love hiring working mothers because I've never seen more efficient, mm-hmm. hardworking people in my life. I mean, you get the job done. So it's not about getting the job done. It's about the realities of the danger of pregnancy. Right. The danger of pregnancy is is that we still have very, very high rates of maternal illness, death. It could be devastating. And I've had a couple of friends really go through that, and it's so hard. So you have to take into account what can go wrong, things that can go wrong, hopefully have some plan B's and C's in place Mm -hmm. if that were to happen, because that's the reality. Knowing what to expect before you file for divorce is important, because the more you know, the less you'll be surprised by what unfolds. As we always say, knowledge is power. So in 
a divorce in any state, you have to make certain financial disclosures. You'll have to exchange with the other party what you have and what you owe and what you make and what you spend. And in many instances, I see both in my practice and online at It's Over Easy, these are, this is sometimes the first time that both parties are actually discussing these issues, which I find fascinating, but it is true. Perhaps if they talked about them sooner, they wouldn't be in the situation they're in. But I always say to people who come into my office and say, I just have no idea what we have, or I have no idea what we make or what we spend. I said, well, you will. This will be the last time you're going to be in that situation. And isn't that a hard way to find out, though? It it is very, That's not the way you want to find out at all. We, we spoke a couple weeks ago with a retired commissioner, Jill Robbins, about being prepared to have less money, kind of downsize, to spend out of the gate, because that's often what a two-income household is when it becomes a one-income household. And I want to remind our audience that parents, really the law, at least in the state of California, is that both parents contribute to both their own and their children's support. And child support doesn't last forever. So if you have a young child and you're receiving child support, please know that will end either at 18 or 21, depending on which state in which you live, you need to figure out a way, again, if it's putting money aside with knowledge of the other person or figuring out what your career skills are going to be once your children are in school most of the time, have your plan B, C, and D. Absolutely. And and here's the thing is that you don't want to be discussing this when it's too late. You want to have those plans in place. You know, the data shows, and this is very sad, new data this year, and this still holds, that when couples get divorced, male and female couples, the male ends up, their income goes up. A woman's goes way down, even if you're both working, even if you're both at the same level. And is there, so the why quality is that? Of, the quality of life shifts because many, many times the woman has too much of the household burden, meaning too much of the picking up from school, making plans, doctor's appointments, and all that other stuff, which is quantifiable. I mean, you could actually put dollar amounts on that. You hire people to do these things for you. Right. Um, and the husband's don't. So they're freed up to do more work, to do more work activities, to socialize more, which can advance them up, you know, the the work life. So you have to also find, try to find, not find yourself in that situation where you're taking on too much because it's not just about money because time is money. Absolutely. You know, I say that all the time. So Carmen, do you have any great tips for newly divorced moms along that vein of kind of being able to calculate what the financial is going to be and how to make sure that that we are okay? Yes. Make sure that you put dollar amounts on the work that you do outside of your job. So for example, as a single parent, I had to pay for extra childcare because I literally couldn't go to the gym without, you know, having somebody in the house. So you need to make sure that you quantify that, the time that you spend going to the schools, try to work out with, and I know this is like, it's over easy and it's so great for people who are sane. Yes. (laughs) You have to be sane. sane. Insane people can't do this. But I think, you know, if you are sensible, you can work out with your partner, especially if you go forward. You know, when you go at work and you say, I want to raise, you go in with your receipts, right? You show your receipts. You say, look at this. This is what I did. This is how I changed the business. You can do the same to your spouse. You can say, okay, here's all the things that I do for our child during the week. I'm going to need you to tick off half or a third or whatever. And, of course, this depends on who has physical custody in the days and stuff. But you have to be willing to share that responsibility and find other ways. So, for example, I lived in a building where I had a family down the hall who was home more. And every once in a while, if I had to pop out, they'd be more than happy to take my girl. So 
have try as much as you can to have people around you that can help kind of assuage the the financial cost of being the solo parent. Absolutely. I mean, we always say on the index, which is our online directory for providers, it takes a village. I mean, yeah. if your yeah. family doesn't live nearby, find neighbors, find yep. good friends, people at the school. I have many, many clients who say to me, well, if I were to take a job, I'd be spending more on childcare than I actually would be making. You need to figure that stuff out. It's a balance. It's a poor, or if I have to hire a babysitter to go to the gym, you know what? You have to hire a babysitter to go to the gym because it's so important for you that you're able to get that physical activity and the endorphins and cardiovascularly, it's worth it. Figure out to you what is most worth it and how to budget your time, energy, and money. And I believe that you will do better going down the road into the next chapter. Do you agree? Absolutely, absolutely. And one of the things I hear a lot is this idea of, well, if I go to work after taxes and I pay for childcare, I'm not actually making money. Maybe not. Now. But... What you're doing is you're investing in your future. Yes. Because guess what? These kids grow up so fast. Oh, my God. Mine's taller than me already. Like, just, all of a yeah. sudden, they just grow up, and then they don't need you as much. They're not going to eventually need you financially. You're going to need to take care of yourself. So what you don't want to get is that maternity pen- penalty right. that they talk about, right. which that penalty is an actual cost of having a child and being set back right. in the job market. The more years you take off, again, no judgment. If you can do it, do it. But if you really want to stay in the workforce, stay in the workforce. Keep your foot in that door. Have a babysitter so you can go and network. Do not just stay at home. It's an investment in you. Totally agree. And again, we're not saying it's a cop-out. We're saying there are ways to think about this. Again, one day you won't need childcare, but you will have had that job for three years during the last few years of needing childcare, and you're in a better position. And a social network around you. Alexa isn't the only one with breaking news. Make sure to hang around at the end of this podcast for the latest breaking headlines on the AP News Minute. Hey guys, it's Jack Vanek from The Lady Gang, and I am sitting here with true crime TV producer and my best friend, Alexis Linkletter, and we are so excited that we are finally launching our true crime podcast called The First Degree right here on Podcast One. And each week, we are going to bring you the craziest true crime stories and talk to the people who are one degree away from each of these crazy events. And we've dragged crime journalist Billy Jensen along for the ride, and he can't get rid of us. Join us on The First Degree every Wednesday on PodcastOne.com and the PC One app. Also remember to rate and review. One of the things that makes divorce suck so much is that it can be a costly waste of time. We've created It's Over Easy to disrupt the conversation for couples and families who are sane and see the value of mediating their own dissolutions and who can agree on the details of their settlements, meaning how they want to divide any assets and how they're going to co-parent, etc., Doing this ultimately saves spouses money otherwise spent on both sides hiring attorneys and duking it out in court. If you need help understanding the value of a dollar and how to make your money work for you, it's a good thing you turned into Divorce Sucks today because Carmen Rita Wong, one of the foremost financial experts in the United States, is in our studio. Her illustrious resume includes being a professor of behavioral economics at NYU, and she's the co-creator and former host of CNBC's On the Money, a national advice columnist, as well as an editor at Money Magazine. And here's a Divorce Sex exclusive. Carmen's (laughs) launching her own new podcast, the first season of The Carmen Show, Life, Money, No Apologies, launches this month, did you say on October 29th? Yes. Yes. Congratulations, Thank Carmen. You so 
Tell us a little bit about The Carmen Show, Life, Money, and No Apologies, and how it's different from other shows you've created. Oh, it's so very, very different, because this is my baby. Other shows I created was a very different time, because you'd be surprised how quickly time goes. Ten years ago, it was a very different world. It was right at the crash. Um, And you know what? Uh, This is not a network. This is my show. I'm producing it. This is no holds barred. And one of the things I want is I want a space for really smart women to get together, have deep conversations, laugh a lot, and not apologize for anything. I love it. So one of the things, and I would, of course, I plan on having you as a guest, Laura. I can't wait. Yeah. You know, and we have to talk about this because... One of the things that I I find so sad is that um, I have a a couple of clubs in my life, and they sound sad, but they're actually very supportive and positive. And one is the Dead Moms Club. If your mother's passed, you're friends. And the Divorce Club. Mm -hmm. And that forms because a lot of the times we need to lean on each other. Yes. And one of the things that I hope people can hear ahead of time, and I feel like we can warn or we can give them the information is for you to give them the information and the tools – to do it in a way that the money doesn't get wasted and instead can be for kids' college, for your future, for all these other things. I totally agree. And again, that's one of the reasons that I do this podcast. I want people to be able to listen. I want people to be able to network. Now, so often, you know, it used to be that if you were getting divorced, either you'd be the pariah or you would eventually meet a few other people that were getting divorced and you could form that kind of support group if you didn't have family nearby or you weren't close with your family. Now we can do that online. We can do that via social networking. I think it's so important that people know, look, if half the couples in this country are getting divorced, there's a lot of people out there that either have gone through or are going through what you've gone through. Reach out. I feel like fewer people discuss divorce than they do breast cancer. This is something that we need to be able to bond together, talk about in order to change the face of divorce in this country. And tell me if you feel this way, because this is something that I'm sensing on the on the economics and behavior side, that this is tied up, marriage and divorce in this country, it's tied up so much with the language of achievement yes. and failure. Yes. And it's like that language, which, I, you know, I will admit sucked me into my first one. It was, well, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to get a degree, I'm going to get this job, and I'm going to get married. This achievement, instead of being this relationship with another human being, that that means that when it ends, you feel like a failure. Right. And it felt like an absolute failure. And so many women do. And what you want to make sure not to do is to isolate yourself in right. that and to judge yourself. Right. And it's just you really need to reach out to that. And thank God for social media, actually, for that. Yes. But, but don't be ashamed about the situation that you're in. Because like you said, if half are getting divorced, you're, you're going to find some. Right. And that I, are be I, think, I think that we've seen so much news over the, even the past couple of weeks about the marriage rate going down because millennials are either choosing not to get married or getting married later. And everyone says, oh, doesn't that bum you out? You're a divorce lawyer. No, it doesn't bum me out. I think it's great. I would rather that people stayed married. What I figure is that if they're getting divorced, we want to make it easier for them. But I do think that as millennials are finding different ways to communicate, different therapeutic practices, different means of actually connecting and and having their relationships, they are realizing, okay, I could have this cohabitation relationship with someone, but this may not be the person that I want to be married to forever 
or that millennials, when they have gotten married, say, you know what, it's not so terrible if this was my, quote, starter marriage and I move on and we figure out a new way to do this. Let's be reasonable about our relationships and about the end of them and stop pretending like till death to us part is really the most, you know, realistic way of looking at things because it, frankly, it isn't. If you meet that person, your soulmate, fantastic. God bless you. I kind of think that most humans were not meant to mate for life, particularly if you meet your spouse when you're in your 20s. We're getting, we're living so long. We're living too long. Yeah. If we were living till you were 40, that would make sense. But if you're living until you're 100, that's a very, very long time to stay with someone. So have those relationships, have those communications, not only with your boyfriend, girlfriend, significant other spouse, but with other people. Let's bring this conversation to the surface so that we all have a much truer reality in terms of what's going on. Yeah. And you don't want, it's not about killing romance either. So no. I, I get this sometimes too. They're like, oh, Karen, you're so, it's all about money and it's all about the laws. And but Listen, love is a choice, right? Yep. You can choose to love someone or not. And that doesn't mean the romance is gone. It just means you need to take into consideration that when you're making a choice, even if it's like you're buying shoes for Pete's sake, you would really look at things like, you know, wear and tear and how much it costs and how much credit you have. But why don't you do that with the people that you're with? Yeah. You can do that. And I do think sometimes just the act of having somebody else to talk to or venting is really helpful. Counseling provides a safe haven for precisely that kind of free-ranging release. You can say things in the therapist's office with a therapist present that would be very incendiary or hurtful to say in your living room or at a restaurant. Absolutely. I'm a big, big fan of therapy. I think, um, listen, it didn't, joint couples counseling didn't work for me, but counseling for myself works fabulous. <laughs> uh, you need that for your sanity. And it's really important to be realistic, too, that there's going to be other losses ahead. So we're talking a lot about money, but of course, like we mentioned, you can lose friends, you can lose social circles, and that can be very devastating. That's something I know I experienced. And I had a girlfriend, um, I, I did a little WhatsApp group last night saying I was going on your show and for, with my divorcee friends and said, what What would you want me to talk about? And she said, that feeling of uh, divorce as being an infection, right. catching a flu. So all of a sudden, people just scatter. Right. Just be mindful that it's not personal. No. Don't I think, take that personally. I think friends of yours or family members that are kind of unable to be supportive probably have something going on in their own life. Exactly. And let's put friends in quotes, shall right. we? Because, yeah. you know, you'll be moving on and then you'll have your real friends. So I think that, I mean, look, not to pat myself on the back too much, but I'll totally pat you on the back. The fact that we have these podcasts, the fact that we are bringing this conversation more public, both in our individual areas of expertise, is huge. Tell us a little bit about how your podcast will be exploring some of the things that you do best. Well, here's here's one of the things is that we were just talking about um, the, those feelings of failure and mm-hmm. shame and such. And the fact that your podcast is called Divorce Sucks, a word that people, not the sucks word, the divorce <laughs> word that people should shy away from. We as women are taking this conversation, owning the conversation and saying we can be in control of these situations, but we've got to get it all out there. We've got to talk about it and get rid of all the shame yes. that we feel. Yes. Destigmatize divorce, destigmatize talking about money, talking about the issues that affect us as women. We're going to bring those out to the forefront and help as many women as possible. We're talking about managing your finances before, during and after a breakup. Raul, 1980, posted on the Alimony Records article on its Overeasy Insights blog asking, how can I show proof that I paid alimony to my ex-wife? That was five years ago and I don't have any receipts. Um, What I would say to Raul, 1980, is 
get the receipts. You can pull your bank statements. Most banks now electronically keep them even more than five years. Um, and alimony payments or maintenance or spousal support for the person providing them currently are tax deductible to the payor and the recipient uh, pays taxes on them. That will change on December 31st, 2018. Spousal support alimony payments will no longer be tax deductible. So that is going to be a change. Again, that's for people that are getting getting divorced and entering into agreements after December 31st, 2018. If you have a written court order document that talks about the deductibility, you're good. It's the people that are entering into new agreements. So these will be net support payments. And that there's a whole host of things that go along with that if you're getting divorced. But be aware of it because sometimes if the payor spouse is in a higher tax bracket, the only entity that kind of was getting screwed was the government and the government's not having any more of that. So now we're all kind of at an equal net level, which is what child support payments are as well. If you are a payor spouse, you want to keep a list of all payments which were made during the year, including the dates and amounts, the check numbers for the payments made, the address where the check was sent, photocopies of canceled checks or the original if your bank supplies it, and receipts for any cash alimony payments you make. If you're making support payments under a court order, you want to do what you'd need to do to prove to a judicial officer that the payments were made. And not only are these records useful in a situation where the other party claims payments weren't made, but again, if you're pre-2008, 18, the end of 2018, you'll need them for tax purposes in case the IRS decides to take a poke around and audit you. And if they do, you'll have proof that the payments were contributed. Also, if you're making payments subject to one of the um, county payment agencies, for example, Los Angeles County has the child support and spousal support payment services, you can deal with them. They usually keep records of it, but don't count on anybody else to do that. This idea about alimony records, he says, I don't have any receipts. Listen, you always have receipts unless you pay cash. Right. Never pay <laughs> cash. Never pay an alimony payments in cash. If you can and you do everything electronically, you will always have receipts. And I find that there's two kinds of people, pretty much, who, when they divorce, either because of the emotional turmoil, will either drop all their finances and do nothing and, and no, have no idea what's going on, or the opposite like myself, and I become <laughs> basically CIA and FBI combined. Forensic. And I, yes, I'm completely forensic. So try to make sure you at least just never use cash. Agreed. Our goals on Divorce Sucks include making sure everyone listening comes away with more information about family law than they had before they subscribed. One way to get this important information is from interrogating our guests. Carmen, <laughs> these are the Divorce Sucks interrogatories. You told me at the Women in the World Summit that you've been divorced twice. What is your relationship status now? And what's the secret to a, quote, good divorce? A date. <laughs> um, and a good divorce probably should start with a choosing the right person to marry, frankly. Yes. And yeah, I didn't have that. And it's okay. <laughs> I have forgiven myself, Laura. That's I've good. Myself. Forgive yourself. Yes, That's yes, really good. And I will not do it again. Okay. There you go. I once was quoted in an article a long time ago saying, I would never marry anyone I couldn't divorce easily. And Ooh. my boyfriend at the time was like, why would you say something like that? And I said, it came out sounding bad. But what no, I really I meant it is, yeah. not easily in terms of bye-bye, but easily in terms of we're both adults, we're both reasonable, and we both care about each other and our kids. So Grown that's ups. actually what ended up happening, too, exactly. although we never married. Um, what's your favorite breakup song? You're going to laugh so much. Anything by DMX. Drop, drop, come on, come on. Shut them down, open up, shut ah, 
That's good. That's <laughs> good. Rough rider. All right. Or for I working out. I was a little out. bit angry. A little <laughs> bit angry, man. That's me. I'm like, that's the one blasting it. Jeff is nodding in the booth. I love it. All right. What would you say to cheer someone up going through a breakup? I, I, I say the same thing that I say to myself when I need to cheer up and I'm, I'm having a bad day. I say, you know, go through your list of gratefuls. Mm-hmm. Just make a list of gratefuls. Because it's hard when people say be grateful. It's right. like, how do you be just make a little list. Start from your toes and go all the way up to, you know, your head. Just what are you grateful for in life? What's your North Star? What guides you and fills you up with light? And for me, that's my daughter. I like that. Yeah. What rom-com would you watch over and over again? I, Mama, I am not a fan of rom-coms. Really? Isn't well, it's the terrible? DMX getting in the way, probably. I know, probably. No, I mean, I think I think they're loving their friendly. The Devil Wears Prada is on. I'm, I'm watching it no matter what. Crazy Rich Asians, I will watch over and over and over again. But my issue is I always have to detach myself a bit because I never like how they portray the male-female relationships. Right. I'm always like, the guy's a douche. Right. Okay, like, why is this happening? This is wrong. You're not communicating. That, my therapist hat goes right. on. But I love how pretty they all look. Yes, they're and they so have good pretty. clothes. And, and is it interesting that their apartments, even if they're in New York oh. and they're 20-something, is like four bedrooms and gorgeous and perfectly decorated? yeah. That's that's Hollywood, babe. I know, that's, I know. No, I love Hollywood. You kidding? I love it. It's fantasy land. Got to lose ourselves sometimes. Carmen, thank you so much for coming in from New York, sharing your financial wisdom with us on Divorce Sucks. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. It's wonderful to see you again. Uh, The Carmen Show, Life, Money, and No Apologies, Season 1, launches on October 29th. And in the meantime, where can people reach you, Carmen? They can see me at Instagram at CarmenRitaW and online at CarmenRitaWong.com. Carmen, we'll all be listening on October 29th to The Carmen Show, Life, Money, and No Apologies. We have a shared mission, my friend, to disrupt outdated patterns of thinking about relationships and finances by educating people toward creating personal victories in their lives. And we will not be stopped. And it will be recorded and downloaded, fingers crossed, to hundreds and thousands of times. Let's face it, America, divorce sucks. But as a society, we've evolved and we've recognized that the American family structure has undergone enormous Enormous changes. Divorce is all around us, and who among us doesn't know someone who is divorced or who has been impacted by divorce? It's not as scandalous as it was. If you're not a subscriber yet, it's easy to join our conversation by tapping the subscribe button and telling all your friends. You can also ask me anything at It's Over Easy on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or leave a comment on our Insights blog, and we'll discuss it here on the Divorce Sucks podcast hosted by me, Laura Wasser. Even though divorce is the end of one part of a relationship and it's sad and scary, the legal part of it shouldn't be so difficult. So if you can agree on the final deal of your dissolution, It's Over Easy provides online divorce tools you may want to check out before you spend money, which you don't need to. 